Hello, everyone. I'm Harry Littman, the host of the Talking Feds podcast and a born and bred proud Pittsburgher. And this is the first episode of Up Next for Patient Safety. We're here today to shine a spotlight on an acute crisis in healthcare in this country that most people scarcely know about. It's medical error. Believe it or not, medical error is the third leading cause of death in America. I'm just gonna repeat that because it boggles the mind. Medical error is the third leading cause of death in America. Every year, 250,000 people die because of preventable medical error. Think about instruments left in patients during surgery or infections acquired in the hospital or medications that are inaccurate or delivered in the wrong dose or that are not delivered on time. And that 250,000 figure, of course, has been compounded in the last 18 months or so by the 600,000 plus deaths from COVID-19, untold numbers of which were preventable with better crisis management. This podcast will untangle the web of causes for our high medical error rate and discuss a promising solution with experts in the field. I'm joined today first by Karen Walk-Feinstein, President and CEO of the Pittsburgh Regional Health Initiative, who has been fighting a battle against medical error for over 23 years. And she is now trying to promote a new solution that could literally save millions of lives because there is no government agency tasked with preventing medical error, which is tragic since so much of the horrific consequences would be sharply reduced by the sort of expert oversight and coordination we've employed with great success in other areas. Karen envisions an agency focused solely on preventing serious medical harm to patients and workers from both annual medical errors and pandemic deaths. We wanna look closely today at one of the most successful models the government has devised, and that is the National Transportation Safety Board, or NTSB. Most people know that air and train travel is remarkably safe, but that didn't just happen. It was propelled in large part by the specialized focus of a federal agency created for that purpose. And we have the perfect guest to explain the model and why it's been so successful. Robert Sumwalt, the chair of the NTSB from 2017 until just a couple months ago. So welcome, Karen and Robert. And I hope in a few short minutes you can help people understand the grave current crisis and preventable deaths from medical error and the promising model that the NTSB presents for reducing them. Um, Karen, let me start with you, if I can. So the Institute of Medicine released a groundbreaking report, at least it was thought of that way, over 20 years ago in 1999, entitled To Err is Human. That report found that 98,000 people were dying every year due to preventable medical error. What's changed since 1999 in patient safety? Well... Harry, I have bad news, not much. Uh, now, my opinion is one thing, but the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine took a look at our progress over 20-some years and concluded that we've made almost no progress. It's pretty discouraging. Um, we have little blips of progress, but then it doesn't get standardized, it doesn't get spread, and so it doesn't get sustained. In one area, central line infection, we've been able to 
hold our improvements and and change the outcomes of care, but that's about it. So I think the uh, sadly the conclusion is bleak. Well, and if I read it right, it's not just it hasn't gotten better. We've gone from a hundred thousand to two hundred fifty thousand in these twenty years of supposedly modernized medicine. Is that accurate? Um, accuracy is something that's a little complicated. <laughs> yeah. It's how you define an adverse event and how much you're able to detect from the EHRs, the electronic health records, and other data sources. So I would just say it's always been bad, and we're getting our arms around the fact that this is a real crisis in American healthcare. All right. So it sounds like at a minimum, not any kind of dramatic improvement in the last 20 years. Robert, can I turn to you then as the former NTSB chair? How has the aviation industry innovated in safety in the past, say, same period, 20, 22 years? All right. It's a great question and good to be with with you and Karen. Let me let me present you with some figures that are really mind boggling. Uh, and there was a was an air carrier, an airline crash going into Buffalo in February of 2009. Unfortunately, that crash claimed 50 lives. Um, the next passenger fatality on board a U.S. scheduled carrier was in April of 2018 in a very freak, freak accident where a woman was uh, partially ejected through a window. Um, so in those nine years... Six billion passengers flew safely on U.S. airliners. That is incredible. Six billion people over a nine-year period without a single fatality. And I think that there's a lot of reasons why the airline safety record has gotten as good as it has. Well, let's zero in, though, if we can, because we're thinking about applying it to patient safety um, you probably saw the recent article at, on the Wall Street Journal about the outsized success of the NTSB. I'm sure that got around from your staff, the airline safety revolution. So, you know, what was, how might you summarize the aspect of NTSB intervention that is responsible for such a dramatically, you know, pristine safety record? Well, I think the NTSB really, um, by statute, is an accident investigation agency. So, so they are looking at bad outcomes in arrears. They're looking at something bad that happened and figuring out what happened so that they can issue recommendations to keep it from happening again. Collectively, though, I think what the airline industry has done very well at is they, um, they're doing about three things that I think have greatly contributed to this successful safety record. Uh, they are Looking, they have successful incident reporting systems whereby employees freely will admit uh, errors that they committed or safety hazards that they see. They they can do this because the airlines have basically a non-punitive culture where people feel free. They're even rewarded for reporting uh, bad outcomes. Um, there's another thing is that airlines are routinely monitoring their normal flights. Every flight, they are monitoring various aspects of that to see how the system is working. And I think the third thing that the airlines are doing very well with is that they are openly sharing de-identified data 
with, with each other and with the regulator so that everyone in the industry sees where these problems are. And I think collectively, those things have greatly contributed to the good safety record of the U.S. scheduled passenger airlines. Got it. Just a quick follow-up, and then, Karen, you can probably uh, guess I'm going to ask you for a comparative uh, picture uh, in the uh, healthcare industry. But this culture point, the first one that you raised, what explains it? I'm, You know, that that is remarkable. I certainly know as a lawyer that the healthcare industry is very different, and there's fear and loathing of punitive measures and lawsuits and the like. Are there any, is there anything the, either the airlines themselves or the NTSB has done to foster this non-punitive culture? For you, Robert, I'm sick of you. I'm sorry. I thought that was for Karen. And, and yeah, they, they, they have, the airlines have over time, they have learned the importance of something that, that we call a just culture. And that is, is that the, the, the honest mistake, if you will, uh, those who go out and, and are well-trained and well-intentioned and then go out and commit an error, uh, if they report that, they're not going to be punished. Um, and I don't think that that model necessarily exists in the healthcare business. And uh, I think that's one of the successful things that the airlines have done is establishing that just culture. Now, it's important to point out that a just culture is not a get out of jail free card. That's uh, not that at all. There is accountability in the system. If someone blatantly uh, does something wrong, if they uh, show up for work uh, after uh, having consumed alcohol or something, yes, there will be consequences for that. But the honest mistake, if you will, uh, that is not punished at all. They try to learn from that and, and use it as a learning opportunity. Got it. So, Karen, not just on culture, but the three aspects that Robert mentioned. I know, as you said, it's a little hard to, you know, one of the big problems here to get our arms around the data and the, you know, the the different um, chronicling of problems. But how would you compare the medical industry? What's lacking there? Were you, were you what pangs of envy did you have as you heard Robert detail the aviation industry's um, basically fine record? Well, I, I literally drool with envy. So um, <laughs> I'll use the uh, constant uh, reference to Psych 101, look at the incentives, right? Yeah. So the many industries, not only aviation, that are have gotten incredibly safer over the last three decades um, if they don't get safe, they close or fail. Uh, it's their incentives. People won't buy their product or they have federal agencies that will close them down if they're wildly unsafe. Um, but in healthcare, we don't have those incentives. First of all, safety is expensive and nobody pays for it. So it's an added expense for which there is no reward um, because there's no market in healthcare. In other industries, people have information to choose. But in healthcare, yeah. the patients seldom have the information or the purchasers. And those are the employers like myself. So they don't reject unsafe doctors and hospitals because they often don't know. And, and the data that are out there are very confusing. They get data from different sources, but they often contradict each other. So, you know, your other big issue is 
who asks for accountability, right? I mean, very few people, very few industries say, make me more accountable. And who's going to press for this? Um, so, you know, the patients are overwhelmed. And what has happened is the task of oversight, of accountability is parceled out over dozens of federal agencies and independent organizations. So in a sense, you say, oh, maybe that's good. The more players, the more they pile on. Um, actually not. So the problem we have is with all this confusion, it's very hard to make public uh, the safety record of institutions. And you'd have to ask yourself, how much does this trouble them? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I can say just as a normal patient looking looking at the behemoth of the healthcare industry, if something goes awry, you you have no idea what it what it was and what happened. But I also just want to echo the point you just made because it's not, as you say, a boon, but rather a um, problem to have many different agencies. Because what happens is you have these interagency working groups that blah 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 over white papers and never really get something done. Whereas if there's someone really in control and accountable for the bottom line. I'm, I'm NTSB. I'm also thinking of the recent, you know, um, creation of the Consumer Finance Protection uh, Board. It really does make a difference. There's a single cop on um, the beat. All right. Well, let let me um, ask. I'm, you know, is there a? I know you've been working tirelessly at it, uh, Karen, for twenty plus years. Is there a groundswell, if not from individual patients, at least from groups who are concerned with uh, healthcare or consumer representatives for some kind of, you know, better outcomes and structure here? You know, what is, is anybody out there making the case for it? Here's the problem. You, you might ask, any of us would ask, look, with a quarter of a million people dying a year, and these stories are, the media's done a great job of covering many of the horrible incidents that happen. So it's not as if this is a, a secret, but the public, I think, approaches this the way they do climate change. It's kind of amorphous, long-term out there, and it's not visible. It's not like the reaction parents have when someone puts a cell phone tower near a school, right? Yeah. Even though, by the way, there is no proof that that cell phone tower does any damage, <laughs> they can see it and it's right there near their kids and they get worked up. But the American public seems to think the medical error is just some sort of invisible amorphous problem of which they may get um, be the victim, but they're not going to die. The other is I think it's kind of a religion um, or an unfathomable mystery. It's just too complicated and it's too scary that the, the, the settings that are there to help you heal could actually hurt you. I think people just don't want to deal with it. So yeah, you referenced, there are many excellent organizations like AARP and Families USA, Patient Safety Movement, MedStar, Stratus Health. I mean, there are organizations that care a lot about this issue, but we don't have the groundswell that say Robert would get when an engine falls off a plane outside of the Denver airport. Yeah. So I, let me follow up and double back to you on that, um, Robert, because it's not as if the transportation industry is uncomplicated, but it does seem that it's, a uh, you know, the problems there are so 
isolated and spectacular is probably the bad word to use, but I mean, really attention riveting. Um, how can you, can you sort of um, connect that up though, to how the agency works with transportation providers, transportation agencies, how do you, what do you have a, an established protocol for when you get involved to investigate things, how you work with regional state or local um, authorities and how um, tangibly you have a sort of from problem to recommendation to ameliorative step process? And there are a lot of questions right there, a lot of points right there in that one, one sentence <laughs> well, there. But, I, uh, can, I can shorten it. Maybe you can just get, walk us through like a typical NTSB investigation process. Yeah, the NTSB has the statutory authority and responsibility to investigate every aviation accident, every civil aviation accident that happens in this country uh, that meets a certain criteria. And uh, the criteria would be, uh, you know, it's a, a legal definition of what constitutes an accident, substantial damage and serious injury, hospitalization more than 24 hours or something like that. So we, we, and it's hard for me to quit saying we, because I just left the board uh, just about five weeks ago, but, but every, they, they do investigate every accident. And so uh, we've got a finite, a closed data set, if you will. We know of every accident. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case in uh, in the medical community. Where Domestic or, or international, as long as it's in our jurisdiction. I mean, you know, who, any, any airline at all? Yeah, any aviation accident that occurs in yeah. this country, uh, the NTSB will will investigate, and uh, and and the board would also be a part of uh, uh, international investigations if it involves a U.S. manufactured, designed or registered, uh, designed or manufactured product. So uh, the board uh, looks at a lot of aviation accidents. Let me go back to something that Karen said. She said a quarter of a million people die each year in this country due to medical error. So compare that to 2 million passengers flying every day, 2 million a day in the U.S. airspace system uh, without fatality. And so, you know, there's a really a striking difference in the, uh, in the safety record of one domain versus another. Yeah. Um, so, Karen, you've been really thinking about this for a long time. You've come to the conclusion that a NTSB type model agency would work best. And I think in your mind, you've got, you know, more than a little bit of the blueprint. Are you, can you kind of share for uh, to, with us your thoughts about if we had a national patient safety board, how exactly it would work? Um, I'd say I've thought about it. So have others. <laughs> um, although we've been pushing for this for about a decade and a half, I'd say over three decades, the idea keeps surfacing and then for some reason doesn't get done. So I think of a National Patient Safety Board, NPSB, as, as a giant think tank. And it could do the kind of national studies to understand what conditions precede medical mishaps um, and also how do you anticipate it? How do you correct for it? This is no mystery. This is what other industries do because they use the frontiers of technology and data analytics to do just that. And many of these autonomous solutions that have been proposed and adopted 
from the NTSB could also be applied to healthcare. We just haven't done that. We rely a lot on medical doctors and nurses to do this kind of uh, frontier technology and analytics thinking for which they were not trained. So my sense is that if you had an organization like the NTSB, um, we could on a national scale start taking the burden off the front line and come up with some of these same autonomous solutions. Yeah, that's an excellent point. There's no specific reason to think that people who are trained at doing surgery or or changing bedpans or whatever are our best position. Obviously, there's some really big pieces missing in data uh, management and everything about a bird's eye view that that are you know are just not being um, brought to bear. So, but it does sound like largely a think tank model, and they would develop proposals and what propound them to. Congress or, you know, have you have you thought about it logistically to that degree? Um, the best thing that I love about the NTSB, maybe yeah. why it's so popular, they put the solutions out there and then it's up to the other agencies that regulate, that standardize um, to either put them, uh, make them um, required And so you, or else just have people, airlines adopt them because they don't want to have a mishap that could have been prevented. And I I see this working in the same way. Um, Maybe some recommendations would be adopted by the Joint Commission so that accreditation would depend on you having, for instance, standardized defibrillators. Still kills me that yeah. our defibrillators aren't standardized. Not only not standardized, they're sometimes contradictory. Um, but you know, these would be things the Joint Commission could pick it up. Um, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid could pick it up, um, or they could just be out there in the public domain, so that if you don't adopt them, you're an outlier. And Robert, anything to add to this? Because you've now been through the creation of an agency. Maybe it could have been slightly tweaked or maybe you think the model is perfectly adaptable but but what what about um you know how it would uh actually work day to day does it and and do you think the sort of if uh, unless i'm well i'll just stop there how do you how what about how you think it would work day to day well i think there are certainly uh, elements from the ntsb as well as the rest of the airline industry to um, to put together something like this. I don't think the NTSB model alone is what you're looking for because that, the NTSB historically, is an accident investigation agency. But I think that you could have a, a freestanding agency that would look at all things healthcare, whether it's investigating sentinel events, whether it's collecting data, sharing data, um, whatever it happens to be. And so uh, I think Karen told me once that there's like 36 organizations uh, uh, involved in some element of, of health care. And, um, you know, is that necessarily the best answer? I don't know, uh, Karen. Uh, Harry, you're the moderator, but Karen, what are your thoughts <laughs> on that? Sorry. Well, um, you know, we, we do have a bit of confusion out there with all the different organizations the saddest thing is many of them come up with with um, individual solutions, problem solving. They do a little root cause analysis at a small unit level, and they don't do it 
at large scale national level. Um, and as a consequence, we very seldom think about preventing errors before they occur. We look back and we say, oh, what went wrong? Um, but it may only be it never gets out of that hospital unit where they did the root cause analysis. It's frankly kind of crazy. All right. In the little bit of time we have left, let's let's talk political brass tacks a, a bit. Um, Karen, it will literally take an act of Congress to establish a National Patient Safety Board. So actually for both of you, 117th Congress has got a few things on its plate right now. What needs to happen uh, in order for this your, your vision, Karen, to become a reality and a priority? And, and I want to ask in particular if this is the sort of thing that a legislative strategy would be to kind of be front and center or sort of, you know, as some some big uh, developments in, in Congress are sort of slipped in through a side door? Um, I'd say A or B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I'd say A or B. Yeah. Um, yes, obviously yeah. for us, in some ways, the gold standard is an act of Congress that creates an independent, and let me underline that the NTSB is independent of Robert. You're affairs. shaking your head. You think the independence, which I gather has meant that the president <laughs> can only fire for cause, been an important part of the success here? Yeah, I'm certainly nodding my head at that. The NTSB is, in fact, an independent yeah. agency. We're not a part. They, I've got to get my pronouns right. They are not a part of yeah. the Department of Transportation. And I think that that gives the them the freedom to call it the way that they say it, see it, to say that the FAA or the DOT did not do this or that. I think yeah. that's a critical part of whatever organization would be set up for healthcare because that's a critical uh, element of the NTSB. And it, it, is a, it is a big kind of controversy now in the law, but I'll leave that to the side. Karen, I interrupted you because that kind of sparked my interest. Sorry, uh, going back to you. No, no, it's so important to both Robert in terms of the success of the NTSB and my perspective on what would make a successful NPSB. So uh, obviously an act of Congress, we, we are encouraged by the speed with which the Consumer Financial Protection Board was created, responding to a crisis, um, at that point financial, but we do have a pandemic, which unfortunately is entering, I guess you call it the fourth wave. We do have a pandemic, and I think it is also a crisis situation. I don't want to separate responding better in the future to a pandemic, the problems with our public health system, and, and why we can't make any dent in medical error. They're all related. I honestly yes. believe that an NPSB could protect patients and workers better in all three situations. So what do we need? What did the, the Consumer Financial Protection Board had? I mean, no mystery. A passionate senator, Elizabeth Warren, and a responsive president. So yeah, that's I get up every day and wish... <laughs> for two passionate senators, one is R, one is D, and a White House that says, darn, we better get on this. It makes good sense. And so a great first director in Richard Cordray. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right, Karen and Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to explain this huge and largely preventable crisis in our healthcare system. It really does seem astonishing that something like medical error, which can be sharply reduced as the third leading cause of death in this country. Let's, let me just ask you a final question. Is there anything that listeners out there can do to play a role either in addressing the problem or bringing the NPSB into life? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, uh, thank you so much for asking. So we've put a broad coalition together which I do think is very impressive. It has all the key stakeholders, um, hospitals, insurers, consumer advocates, thought leaders, quality improvement groups. Uh, all of them, we have over 50 major US organizations from health systems to National Blue Cross Blue Shield, Families USA. What we need now, we have a website. Um, I really would ask our viewers, our listeners, to visit npsb.org, um, sign a petition, register your interest, get informed. And I'd say um, if you know anyone on either the Senate HELP, the Health Education, Labor and Pensions Committee, or the House Energy and Commerce Committee, if that's your senator, um, give us a call. We want, we want to talk to you. We, we definitely know what makes the difference, what sinks the pot, and uh, we need that passionate representative. Um, you know, you asked earlier, what, what, what does it take to get something like this going? And uh, let me just say that it usually takes blood. It takes blood spilled. Uh, that's what gets people's attention. Back in the early 30s, a, a, a loved, beloved football coach at Notre Dame was killed in an aviation accident. That got something mm -hmm. formed to start investigating aviation accidents. In, in 1956, June 30th, 1956, with the Grand Canyon midair, two airliners came together over the Grand Canyon. Uh, 128 people died that day. That led to the formation of the I Federal thought you were aviation. gonna say the day the music died. I had that wrong, okay. Well, but it, you know what, as a matter of fact, that was the day I was born. So there's something significant about that, but that led to the formation of the FAA. And so it usually takes a very serious event to get change. Well, unfortunately, we're having very serious events every day, every hour in the healthcare system, but there's not that crisis mentality that we've got to do something. So let's go ahead and, and, and stop these, prevent these medical errors before they, they lead to 250,000 deaths each year. It's a great point. It's like a rolling serious event. All right. Well, that'll do it for the first episode of Up Next for Patient Safety. Stay tuned for subsequent ones and for the general effort uh, and heavy lifting and blood, as Bob puts it to really try to launch some uh, at the kind of agency that could have such a huge impact on such a tragically preventable source of death in this country. Thanks very much, Robert and Karen, for being here. Bye-bye, everyone.